0: I don't know about Happy Memorial Day or not at all. It depends on your perspective, I guess. And so um, there, there's things to be happy about, that's for sure. So um, last week, Rick finished up with verse 10 in James chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn to James chapter 4. Um, and verse 10 was, uh, humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up. And so as we, do you have the... Passages for today i don 't remember if I included those, yeah, so bring that up here, and uh, yeah, so we 'll just start there for a minute, so Lena just read this, and um, we 've got this passage and another part verses thirteen through seventeen, and in some ways they 're separate in scripture. Um, one part is what 's coming out of your mouth what what 's good or what 's bad, the other part is what's what 's going on in your head and coming out of your mouth as far as planning and it seems in some ways like they might not be that closely related, but if you, there's a number of themes you can pull out of there that are consistent through both of those passages. And so the one or the, the couple of them that I'm thinking of and thinking through are, what is God's will in my life? How does that manifest itself in my heart? And then what happens from uh, here to when it comes out of my mouth? What does that look like, and what is, what's coming out of my mouth show about where God is in my life, and where do I think my role in the universe is, and where does God's role in the universe uh, appear? So um, I just love this passage, um, it's, uh, but, but I love it in a different version, and I'm a really, um, I really don't like paraphrases that much, but I really, once in a great while, I go to the, the message which is, I don't even know if you call it a paraphrase, it's beyond paraphrase, but um, there's some pretty cool stuff in there sometimes just to get an idea of the, the emotion and the, uh, the nature of some of the, the feeling of some of the passages. And so I'm going to read this verse and uh, 12 in the message. And the, the author says, don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring to the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? And I think that really got me thinking about what this, what this means in terms of um, what it means to speak evil and uh, what it means to uh, be a doer of the law and not a judge of the law. So I looked at this And I ask myself, who is the author writing to? Who's James writing to? One and other brothers. In, uh, I think, NIV it says friends, I believe, or in the message at least it says friends. So who are we talking with? James is addressing believers. He's not addressing non-believers. And then he, he talks about one another. So is he talking about us Speaking evil of anyone, or is he talking about us speaking evil? Evil of, of just ourselves, and I'll get into that in a second. But um, he's talking about Christ followers who claim to be one with Jesus. He's talking about us. So, what does it mean to speak evil? I would say that speaking evil has a bunch of different. I looked it up. You know, if you look up in in the dictionary, speaking evil um, isn't in there, right? But slander and gossip and defamation and that sort of thing are in there. And so legally uh, speaking, speaking evil might be considered to be like slander. And slander has a certain legal definition. When you talk about slander, you've got to be talking about something that's false. If you you slander someone, it's false, right? If you slander someone, it has to be damaging. And that's when you get the courts involved and and people get sued and that sort of thing. So we don't want to slander people. It's false and damaging stuff that comes out of our mouth. So that's speaking evil sort of in a legal definition. But there's a more important spiritual definition that might even include speaking things that are true and accurate and correct. And speaking evil can um, fall in that definition. So if, if I'm saying something that's true and accurate and correct, but... I'm saying it so that I can deflect attention from my own sin, from my own heart, or out of a big sense of hypocrisy and trying to make myself feel better or trying to tear you down, what am I doing? All at once we say, speaking evil, right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, uh, I don't really care about you. We're saying, I'm better than you. That's, that's what we're doing. That's speaking evil. Um, whether true or not. It can be even just neglectful carelessness or pride can, can be kind of under that umbrella of speaking evil. So, again, who are we not to speak evil of? If you go to the next slide, Jeremy. Don't speak evil. Go to the next one. <laughs> See, that was a big point, right? Um, <laughs> for what have I to do with judging outsiders, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church you are to judge? Whoa. I thought he said, don't speak evil. But we're judging in a certain other sense. And I'll get into that in a second. but, But Paul says, God judges those outside. God judges those outside the church who are not believers and part of the body of Christ followers. Go ahead. So, James says that there is only one judge. Tupac, Shakur said that too. (laughs) You're awake, that's good. (laughs) Tupac says, only God can judge me. Uh, (laughs) So I'm really glad you're awake. That's a good sign. Oh man, so (laughs) do I listen to Tupac? Well, I listened to Tupac this morning for about four seconds before the... (laughs) Before the first uh, expletive came out, and I said, oh, I can't play that in front of the congregation. So I haven't really listened to Tupac, so I didn't know what words were going to come out of his mouth. Hopefully, um, they won't come out of my mouth by association. Um, But James is telling us that though we are believers in Christ, we are part of the body of belief part of the followers of Jesus, we can still slip into that that way of of letting ourselves be guilty of speaking evil. And really where that comes to play is we forget who we are. We forget that we are one with Christ, that we are um, supposed to be open to and encouraging and and working toward letting God's image be reflected in us. So uh, nonetheless, we can... we can slip back into that mode of thinking of ourselves in whose position? Yeah. Only God can judge us. So um, maybe we want to be in that position of being able to judge others. So scripture is um, pretty full of statements that say that only God can judge in a certain sense. So Matthew and Luke quote Jesus as saying, judge not so that you don't be next. And John says that Jesus said when talking to the woman accused of adultery, let the person without any sin cast the first stone. Paul says in Romans, if in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. And then James here says, who are you in verse 12 to judge your neighbor? So, There is only one judge, it's God, and we're not supposed to judge in the sense that these passages say. So if you go to the next slide, Jeremy, Scripture is also replete with a bunch of statements about when we're supposed to judge, and and the fact that we are judges in a certain sense, that we are uh, supposed to analyze and think about things and, and work through things. And so I wanted to point out some of those things in Proverbs. The author says, open your mouth and judge righteously. And Paul says, in the same Paul that we just heard about a moment ago says, can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? And then back in the Old Testament again, Leviticus 19.5, you shall judge your neighbor. How does that compare with what James just said? It seems kind of off, maybe. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all Scripture is profitable, and he names a number of things, but a couple of them are for reproof or for correction of other people or of ourselves. And then John, just a little—I uh, believe it's after his pre. Can you go back to the other slide real quick? So John eight seven, led him without sin. Cast the first one, just a little before, says, "Judge with right judgment." So, pretty confusing in a way, right? So, does anybody have an idea why or how? Is this a contradiction in Scripture, throughout Scripture, so uh, integrated in Scripture that it just baffles understanding? Anybody have an idea how we can reconcile that? Yeah, exactly. So, the first set of passages... I would just sum up in one way, um, if you go back to that. Sorry, Jeremy, I probably should have did this back and forth, back and forth, right? Um, <laughs> this is criticism. This is um, not constructive criticism. It's tearing down criticism, right? It's, like I said, I'm better than you and I want to show it. Or, I don't like you, I don't care about you, all right? So, go to the next one. This is in some ways, in some um, uh, commentaries and others, they would, they would call this more discernment. They would call this more, uh, older phrase, edifying, um, which means basically building one another up so that when we're trying to um, analyze a situation and discern what's right and wrong, what we're looking at is how we can restore somebody to a right relationship with Christ. How we can restore somebody to the way that um, God sees them, or that, uh, that they understand better their place um, as a chosen uh, child of God, not as a whatever they're going through, right? So what I want to ask you now, so Tupac said... Only God can judge me. Now, Rick, um, I told him I was going to use this a lot in my message from his message last week. I, I'm not going to. Some of you know I work for the government. I'm, a, I'm one of those pointy-headed bureaucrats, okay? And, and Rick really hammered home how, how untrustworthy those people were last wow. week. So... <laughs> Right? So I, I just appreciated that and I'm trying to humble myself before the Lord so I'm lifted up. <laughs> and thank you Rick for helping me do that. Um, <laughs> but I have been around enough politicians. Um, I, one of my favorite things is to say I've been in more senators offices than most senators have and that's the truth. I've been in about 60 senators offices and it's not always very pleasant. Um, in fact it's usually not. But Um, I've seen enough politicians and I bet you have seen enough uh, religious leaders and others who have had some sort of moral failure in their life they've had some sort of crisis they had some sort of oh I got caught moment right? and what, what can come out of their mouth I'm sorry but then the next thing is they quote Tupac only God can judge me and it doesn't believe, you know, they may be believers, they may not be believers in, in Christ, but, but they are avoiding um, accountability. And really, when I looked at this, what I think about is I'm, placed, I'm, I'm supposed to place myself uh, in one thought in the person who's looking at the person who had the moral failure. And the other side is, what if I had the moral failure, what's my attitude supposed to be? So if I'm, if I'm the one who's failed, I'm supposed to humble myself. I'm not supposed to have this mentality that only God can judge me. I'm supposed to have this mentality that I have failed and I'm wrong. And I know that, that sort of position in God's eyes. Um, even though Christ's um, blood has covered me, I've been forgiven. In that moment, I know that, that I'm not supposed to be arrogant enough to say that, oh, you back off. Only God can judge me. But on the other hand, if I'm here judging someone, my only reason for judging them... Well, let me put it to you this way. What if your family member or your friend, your, let's say your best friend was that person who's a, a political leader and had a moral failing, and they said in a press conference, they said, only God can judge me. What if they're your best friend and they're a, they're, they claim to be a follower of Jesus, what would you tell them? so you 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 move toward love, you move toward mercy you don 't move toward judgment and and uh, punishment right you move toward a merciful thing is for us to be having the opportunity to repent so if we have, if we send someone mercy if we 're merciful to them and they 're in a bad place, then maybe the the merciful thing for them to do is to have that opportunity to say. Before God, I'm wrong. I want to turn away from that, and I want to come back to being right with you. I want to be in line with your will. Exactly. Um, But if what we feel in our hearts as we look at that person is a sense of superiority or scandal or bitterness, um, you have no further than the checkout stand at the grocery store to look at scandal and how... Um, the human heart is so sinful and and um, desirous of scandal that every other headline on every other magazine is something that's just scandalous. We get off on that. We that's ooh, that's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, um, or at least it sells magazines. But it's not good. And if it's bitterness or any of that other stuff, then we know we know it's not from God and. We know that the, the truth that we're trying to speak into somebody's life is truth we ought to just forget if it's not useful, if it's not in line with God's will for somebody. We just need to get rid of it. It would be better if we forgot it. If we're quick to speak and we're slow to care, there's a good chance our, ju- our judgment comes from that place of, of all those bad things, arrogance, hypocrisy, criticism, vengeance that we were just talking about. In other words... In a word, it's evil. So I think if you go to the next slide, and the other way that I would sum this up is, this is my favorite passage to reconcile judgment from a critical a criticism point of view and, and discernment. It's, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That makes sense, doesn't it? <clears throat> How we use our mouths, again, says a lot about where our hearts and our motives are. But even with good motives, if you go to the next slide, James still has a problem. Even if you have good motives, even if you say, look, I want to build you up. Or, look, the things that are coming out of my mouth are really well-meaning. There may be a problem. So the rest of the passage we're going to cover today through, cha- through chapter 4 says, Uh, something about some businessmen that were, I don't know where they were for sure. Um, But James says there's some guys that want to go and do some business in a place. They want to make a profit. I'm assuming, remember, he's writing to believers, and I'm going to assume a couple things. And they may be wrong. I don't know what James had in mind. But I'm assuming that these guys are good guys. They love Jesus. They love their families. They love their communities. They love even the customers that they're serving. They're providing, I'm assuming, they're providing a valuable good or a valuable service to those people that they're going to go off to a distant city and make a profit from. They're, they're giving those folks things they need. After all, if you buy something, you want it, right? You don't, you're not forced to buy it necessarily. So I'm assuming these guys have good intentions. They're not trying to rob people. And further, I'm assuming that James is writing about businessmen here, just as one illustration. He's not talking about making a profit. He's not talking about um, um, proper business dealings and whether or not that's good. He's simply illustrating where God's supposed to be in how we plan things up. Uh, What time is it? 10.24. So it would have been just over two hours ago. I was driving along the sherwood Twalton Road, and my whole day just about changed um, really dramatically. There was a lady on a bicycle riding along the, the bike lane, and I noticed she was looking around like this. I was like, what in the world is she doing? So I'm coming up on her. I'm going 40. Okay, I was going a little faster than that. Um, <laughs> Uh, And I started slowing down because something didn't look quite right. And when I got up to about 15 or 20 feet from behind her, I noticed that there were about 8 or 10 bees or some other flying insect around her. And she started wobbling all over the place, weaving all over the place. And she came about 6 feet out into my lane, right in front of me. And I swerved and I hit my brakes and not only did my day and my life almost change in an instant, but her life might have changed really dramatically in an instant too. And she might have been planning on going on a trip, or on a, uh, plans for going to school, or maybe she had a business venture she wanted to do, or maybe she was getting married next weekend. We don't know. I, you know, I didn't get the chance to talk with her. Fortunately, she got back in her lane. I don't know what happened after I left. But the fact is that God's telling us in this passage that our lives are a mist, a vapor, and they can change. Just like that, change. (laughs) Testing. All right. So, in fact, I can be standing here right now and my phone can ring. Well, it's on silent, so it'll buzz. If a battery dies, many things can happen to change our day, right? So if, if a battery in the microphone dies or whatever, then it can change. Um... My phone, if it rings right now, I might get a call that uh, I don't want to get. I don't know what that might be right now, but I bet many of you have, um, at least in the last year, have had some experience where something really um, good has happened or really bad has happened um, that changed your plans. And if these guys, James says, they planned for a year, to go off to a distant city and make a profit. And James says that's great plan. You know, writing a plan for a, a sermon that talks about the futility of planning in a certain sense was really challenging. It, and what it did was it returned me to the central theme of the passage which is don't do planning without first seeking God's will. And I did that and and it changed in almost unexpressible ways, how I decided to approach this morning, um, I was going to approach this very differently if two or three other times on my own thinking, but through prayer and through a lot of reading of scripture, um, I think I came through with the following, and that is that when in the. In, so Rick and I went to an elder retreat a while back, and we read a book together, and I don't remember the title of it for sure, but I think it was, uh, it was about our union with Christ and how um, salvation is essentially being one with Jesus. You know, yes, we're saved from sin. Yes, we're saved, and we get to go to heaven, but all of that is almost a side product As big as those things are, those are benefits. The real element of salvation is that we get to be with Jesus, that we get to be one with and in union with him and reflect the image of God through the Spirit's power, right? So as I looked at this and I looked at what it means to plan in a way that God's will is preeminent in my life is to seek out what it looks like to be in union with Jesus, so, if our lives are a mist, if um, we're supposed to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, then there's a reason for that, and that's because if, if we're not in union with Christ the way we're supposed to be, then, then uh, what we want doesn't matter. What we plan is not going to happen. If we are in union with Christ, though, every aspect of our lives ought to be different Changing how we do and see everything. I was just thinking the last time, the only other time I've preached here uh, at at uh, Colossae Sherwood, I ended up using the the uh, corded mic. That's weird, huh? Um, James uses business as an illustration, but he could use a lot of other things. So, what what do I do to seek God's will? when i s when I plan my day or when I have challenges in life and I have some things I wanted to go through with you um, to kind of seek out or to, to to share about God's will and how to find out God's will so um, let's see so how to know and do God's will and I didn't create this list I did modify it a little bit honestly but um, John MacArthur is one of many uh, authors I appreciate um, one of many pastors I appreciate and so I borrowed this mostly from John MacArthur just wanted to credit that and so the first thing this isn't a full list either there's other things right but the first thing you, you ought to do if you really want to know God's will is to be one with Jesus and so if you want to know Jesus personally and be one with him, we've often in the evangelical world called that getting saved, right? So if you want to be one with Jesus, I mean, if you want to know God's will, know him personally. That's, that's step, step one. Step two, submit to God's standards and be set apart. So um, I... I am glad, on the one hand, that I knew my sermon well enough to skip a bunch of pages in my notes. I am sad that I've lost my place, though. Huh. I bet I'll find it. (laughs) There it is. So, number one. God desires, in 1 Timothy 2.4, um, the scripture says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says that we are to be set apart, different, and uh, submit to God's standards. And then I think the next passage is up on there, uh, 1 Thessalonians, yeah. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, through 18, uh, Paul says... Be joyful always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And what does the next phrase say? Yeah, this is the will of God. So if we're wondering what God's will for our life is, this is one of the places we can turn. We can be thankful, we can be joyful, and we can pray without ceasing. So um, if... I read a lot of historical fiction, especially Navy fiction. As a as a, a Navy veteran, I kind of um, have an affinity for that. And one of the things that I had never connected until going through this passage was this phrase: "During naval warfare battles back in the you know two two hundred and fifty year, years ago, um, they would have these broadside battles between ships." So one side, each side would be loading their cannons as fast as they could and and firing these big rolling broadsides. And very often, the gunners or gunners' mates or the officers would essentially, as they were getting ready to receive enemy fire, what would they say? Anybody ever heard this? And this is not the only place it happened. And um, they would say, "May we be truly thankful for what we're about to receive." Which is just amazing. They're trying in a certain sense, whether godly or not, it, it at least has the appearance of trying to submit themselves on God's will. And it's amazing that somebody's, you know, shooting three to 50 tons of steel and iron at you and, and trying to submit to God's will about being thankful about that. That's crazy. I mean, crazy cool, but crazy. Um, so be thankful always. So um, learn wisdom from from the Bible, certainly. Learn wisdom from Scripture. God tells us that all Scripture is useful, that we have value in it, that we can go to it for wisdom, and also from those around us that we develop a community or that we participate in a community that, that leads us to accountability and to, to um, understanding uh, what God has for us in, in our lives. And... Ephesians uh, 5, 5, 15 through 17 uh, talks about that. You can look that up on your own. But the important part here is not just to obtain wisdom, but to put it into practice and to find accountability in your life. So the question for, for you today on that is, who's going to walk with you and who are you going to walk with in, in God's wisdom and trying to learn it? And then 1 Peter two fifteen. I don't know if that's up there or not, I don't remember. Yep. So, um... Having a visible testimony. Testimony is another one of those things that people that are more uh, steeped in church language talk about testimony. Those who don't have that, they're, they're like, "That's what you do in court, right?" Um, the way that I would say it is this: Anybody fan of Newsboys? How many know the group Newsboys and have listened to them? How many of them? How many of you like them? Okay, not everyone raised their hands, but some did. That's great. <laughs> I love the newsboys and there's one particular song that really stands out to me as far as this this thought. Can anybody name that song? How about name that tune if I hum a few. Da 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 shine so shine Anybody know the words to that? Shine let them see let them let them them, let's see what does it say Uh, (laughs) now I've forgotten it Um, let them wonder what what, let them wonder what you've got from the outside looking in let them wonder what you've got from the outside looking in they should see a difference in you if you're one with Christ and why? The next verse talks about that. That they would see your good works prepared in advance by God and glorify you, the Lord, right? So that they would see good works and then let them glorify the Lord. That song also talks about shoveling elephant dung, so um, I won't go into that. That's, as far, you know, speaking of being humble, that was the point of that verse in that song. But... Um, I forget my points when I go off on tangents like that. (laughs) People ought to be able to look at your life and see that something's different. Because of Jesus saving me and changing me, the Spirit ought to be recognizable in me. Um, If it's not, does that mean I'm not saved? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it means I haven't really grasped and... um, uh, reached out to be the person that Christ is making me to be. Maybe he's still working on me. He's still working on all of us. But maybe I just need to humble myself and and come into that. So is it any wonder, I guess, that uh, he puts things in my head? I mean, I didn't know I was going to bring that up today. So. Um, <laughs> but, so these are some of the things. If you go, I think, forward, one. Uh, go back, two. This is like uh, line dancing. Um, So these are some of the things I wanted to share with you about knowing God's will. And I don't know about you, but I wanted to know what was God's will for my life from the time I was a teenager. Um, Many of us want to know what God's will for our lives is. We want to know who we're supposed to marry or whether we're supposed to... um, go to this school or that, or, or whether we're supposed to uh, do all sorts of things, right? We don't, we don't know sometimes all the details of what God wants. And they're not trivial details sometimes either. When I was 13, I remember praying to God that my parents would choose a Bronco over a station wagon. Yeah, right? So, and, and I didn't know what God's will is. I said, God, if, if it's your will, may my parents get the Bronco, because it's way cooler than the station wagon. But the Ford Fairmont won. So, (laughs) it was the first car I ever wrecked. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Was was that speaking the truth in love, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was not presuming that I'll never wreck one again. I hope I don't, but... um, I guess so my point here is there's lots of things, both trivial and really important in our lives, that we need to seek God's will for, right? And the things that I talked about are a wonderful um, thread of, of faith that we need to practice in our lives, but doesn't cover everything. So that next verse on there, Jeremy, talks about okay, Matthew. Matthew's chapter six is what? The sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. So, Jesus is talking to this crowd of people, the sea of humanity, and can you imagine, just in this room, we've got a lot of issues going on in our lives. In that crowd, no telling how many things were going on in people's lives, no telling how many people needed to know God's will for, for trivial and important things in their lives. And Jesus knew that, and he was preparing them for this statement. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that other stuff we'll take care of," he said. "Don't he didn't say ignore it or just be uh, laissez-faire about it. He said all those things we'll work on together. But first, focus on the kingdom of God. First, focus on being a good and right person, doing God's will, doing, uh, be a, being a doer, not a uh, judge and all those things will will be added to you. He said, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And um, so that's that's kind of the, the, I think one of the last slides I might have. Do I have any more? That's it. So what I want to ask about is, is it any wonder that, Verses 11 and 12 talk about what comes out of your mouth as far as evil speech. And God says, evil speech is bad. But then he says, I'm not just talking about speaking truth. I'm talking about speaking truth in love, building people up and being who you are in Christ. And, and the only way you can do that is seeking out God's will in your life. The only way you can do that is understanding who you are as a Jesus follower. So if you speak the truth in love and build up and don't tear down you're doing that. If you seek the will of God and you submit yourself to to God's will, that's good. Don't foolishly think that you can do life, a good life, without God being in charge. So we're supposed to depend on him and always evaluate and speak the truth when you act and let mercy prevail, right? One of the best things we can do is to stand up against injustice in the world, but we don't need to forget that when there's a victim who needs Jesus and needs God's grace, there's also a perpetrator or a criminal, if you will, who needs Jesus and needs God's grace. And as we think through things and as we extend mercy to people, we need to think about our need in both of those positions and our role in building up and edifying and restoring to a right relationship with God both those people, those parties. We see too much division today to see anything else. And then the bottom line is be humble before God, like verse 10 said that that Rick finished with last week. And uh, be humble for God, and he'll lift you up. And the whole point of my message today is whose universe is it anyways, right? It's God's, not ours. So we do his will. We seek his will. And we don't speak evil. And so as we think and we end on that that note and Peter uh, and, and, uh, is coming up and we're going to do a communion, um, as we humble ourselves before God, one of the ways that we humble ourselves is to be thankful for what Jesus did on the cross. And one of the ways that we are in the practice of remembering is by taking the bread and the cup. And so we're going to uh, have the tables open, we're going to have Peter come up, and we're going to... Uh, celebrate and be humble at the same time because Jesus loves us, okay? Thank you, and I'll just pray for communion now. Father, thanks for your, um, thanks for your spirit in our lives. Thanks for the fact that we can know your will, that it's not as mysterious as, as maybe it might seem at times. And Father, thanks for giving us the, the um, ways to know you. Thanks for your uh, love for us today. In Jesus' name.